Amen. Thank you, band. Well, again, good morning. Good to be with you. If you weren't here earlier, my name is Travis, the pastor here, and uh, we are continuing on in our series. As you can see there, uh, we're calling The Church, The Gospel Made Visible. And this is all about, like we've been saying, this is all about laying a biblical foundation for who we are going to be as a church. So we are launching in the new year. I know that's going to be interesting, seeing the screens with me on there and me right here. So thank you, Chris. You're the man. Um, so this is all about us, us laying a biblical foundation for who we want to be as a church. As we've been talking about, we in the new year, we are launching out on our own. For the last five years, we've been a campus of First Baptist Covington. We are a campus no more. We are setting out, launching out on our own to be an independent church. And as we've been talking about, our, our launch date, our official launch date as the church at Haynes Creek is January 30th. So we're all looking towards that, working towards that. This is what this whole time is about, is just laying a foundation as we prepare to set out on our own. And we want to be a church that, that follows Jesus and all that he's called us to, right? We want to be a church founded on Jesus and his word. It's not about what we want. It's not about building the church in our image, what we hope for, what we want, uh, not making it according to our preferences. No, it's all about what Jesus says here in his word. We want to follow this. We want to do this. That's why we're spending all of this time. So January 30th, that's our launch date. Hope you're ready for that, praying for that, excited about that. Uh, and like we said, on that date, we will also be starting a brand new series. So we're going to be done with this. The church series, we're going to be done laying the, the basic ecclesiology, uh, the basic church theology stuff, and we're going to launch into a brand new series on the 30th, going verse by verse through the book of Acts. So again, I hope you're excited for that date. I hope you'll join us. Uh, I hope you'll join us in prayer. hope you're excited. Be inviting people into this process as well to join us in this new work. It's a perfect time to, to ask people to come in and join us. So but we're going to continue on today, going through these practical aspects of the church. Uh, so last week, we kicked off this conversation on church leadership. So if you're here last week, you know that we walked through the biblical foundation of the office of elder. So, uh, you know, the, the Lord calls and places uh, this role as the, the primary leaders of the church, and that is the role of elder, overseer, pastor. These are all used synonymously throughout the New Testament. So that's what we kicked off last week. So if you weren't here last week, you want to learn more about elders, who are elders, what do elders do? We talked all about that last week. You can check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts, or you can go to our website, you can listen to the sermon there, uh, or you can watch the sermon from last week on our YouTube page page. Um, so that's what we talked about last week. And this week, we're going to continue that conversation on church leadership by looking at the other office that we see in the New Testament on church leadership, and that is the office of deacons. Uh, but before we get there, I have a question. Anybody in here ever worked at a restaurant before? What restaurant, server, host, anything like that? Okay, a lot of you. So you're, you guys are going to understand this one. Uh, I, I got my first few jobs working in restaurants and you know, doing a whole bunch of different things in the restaurant world. And one of the things you learn in a restaurant is you have to be really efficient with your time. Like everybody, no matter what restaurant it is, they expect quick service, good service, everything to be done right. So you've only got a certain amount of time to be able to accomplish those things. So you try to get as much done in as efficient way as possible. And one of those things that you can do efficiently is try to carry a bunch of stuff out at one given moment, whether that's food or drinks or whatever. You don't want to be making a ton of trips back and forth to the kitchen, like with one plate or one drink. You, know, you got you to gotta get a tray. You got to just load up your hands, whatever the case is. So you try to make it, again, as efficient as possible by, by doing things not, you know, 
a bunch of different stuff at the same time. So one of the things, uh, one of the jobs I had as a busboy, first job in a restaurant as a busboy, we had to take out the trash throughout the night. We had lined these trash cans up along the side, and there's a big dumpster in the back that we threw our trash in. Now, you could, you know, take it out throughout the night, but again, that takes time. You got like six or seven trash cans, and that takes a lot of time. If you do that throughout the night, you're going to be missing other stuff on the floor in the restaurant. So we tried to batch that up and like, okay, let's make sure these things are packed full before we go out there. So what that meant is by that time, they were so full and so heavy, you just had to drag the can out there. And the dumpster, as you can tell, I'm not a super tall guy, all right? Um, so I, they, they were a little taller, and I had to lift the bags over my head and put them in. Well, this one time, the bag was so full. And again, these are not like heavy. I mean, this is restaurant, and we're just you know scraping by. These are not like heavy-duty trash bags. It is packed full. Because again, I'm trying to save time and only do this as little time as possible, or as few times as possible. So this bag is packed full. I'm reaching it. I'm putting it in the dumpster. I'm so close to getting it in the dumpster, and it splits open, and I get showered with trash which was awesome. That was a great night. Loved that night. Um, another time I remember uh, I, I got double sat in restaurant lingo. That means that when uh, there's two different parties get sat in your section at the same time. And some servers don't like that. I loved it. I wanted my, my sections packed all the time because that means you're making money. Uh, but that means you also have to greet people quickly, get their drinks out quickly. You got to go do two or three things at the same time. So I'm, I, I get the drink orders and I come back. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this quick. I'm going to get all two tables. I'm going to get all their drinks at the same time and just carry it on a tray and deliver the drinks. And so I, I, get, I get the first table done and I'm carrying the second drink and I get most of the drinks done. And there's, there's this last drink. Um, you know, it wasn't water or Coke or tea. It was, you know, something that adults drink or just leave it to your imagination. And I'm about to set it down and I kind of stumble a little bit and my tray knocks it and it goes everywhere, all over these people. That was a great day. Uh, another time I was, uh, I was carrying some plate of food out for another server, just trying to help out and be, be a nice person. Um, and so it was in this crowded section of the bar where these people were at, and I'm having to carry this food out. And again, trying to do things as, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. I load the food up. So I've got two arms full of plates carrying out, and I'm trying to like weave my way through this crowded section, and somebody bumps me. And this hand goes like this and hits these plates. They go flying off, and these plates also go flying off. Food everywhere on the floor. I, I got tons of stories about this. It's, it's not the best uh, environment to work in. But you know what? You, you try to carry a lot, and sometimes that works great. And sometimes, like, man, I am knocking these things out. And other times, it fails because you're just trying to do too much, right? So I, I try to, and I try to bring this into my normal life, too. Like, when, you, when we get home with groceries, it's like, okay, how can, can I get all of these groceries in the house in one trip? And it's like, you know, our, our driveway is not that long. This is just a game that I play in my mind. Like, I, let me just try to carry as much as I can at one time. And sometimes that works great. Other times, I'm dropping food all over the place. I'm breaking things. Kinder's getting frustrated with me. I'm like, no, I can get it in one trip. She's like, no, you can't. So I try to do that. My kids have the opposite problem where they don't want to carry anything ever at any point. Um, and the line they give me is, I can't, Dad. I don't have much hands. I don't have much hands. And I'm like, what? I don't even know what that means. I, so like, they, they get their water bottle. I'm like, hey, can you also carry this? They're like, no, Dad, I can't. I don't have much hands. I'm like, you have one hand open with nothing in it. Yes, you do have much hands. Take this, please. No, Dad, I can't. I don't have much hands. So they got the opposite issue that I do. But this is what brings us to deacons. You're like, wow, that's, that's great, Travis. I don't understand how any of that makes sense. So here's the deal with deacons. Here's the deal with deacons. With elders, elders and overseers, pastors, they're called to be the primary leaders within the church. But they can't and shouldn't do it all. 
And the problem comes into the church when, when certain people, a few number of people, try to do everything and try to do it all. That never works out well. In the, in the words of my kids, elders don't have much hands, all right? And they need help. They need help. And within the church, this is where the beauty of deacons comes in. This is how God has, has raised up other people within the church to serve alongside and support the work and the leadership of the elders. So uh, that is where deacons come in. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we, we left off in verse 7 last week in talking about the qualifications of overseers and elders. We're going to pick right back up in verse 8 as Paul gives us the qualifications of deacons. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8. If you have your Bibles, great. If not, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Uh, we also have Bibles in the back there. If you don't own a Bible, uh, I would love for you to take that home as our gift to you today. Uh, but 1 Timothy chapter 3, let me just give you a little bit of context here. Uh, as we said last week, this is a letter written by Paul to Timothy, encouraging him as he pastors a church in the city of Ephesus. And in chapter 3 of the book of 1 Timothy, of this letter of 1 Timothy, uh, Paul is providing Timothy with the biblical guidelines and standards for church leadership. So we, we saw last week that he gives the qualifications and the standards for elders within the church, and now he's moving to the office, the role, the position of deacons within the church. All right, so let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll spend our time talking about it, see what we can uh, draw from this today. So starting in verse 8, of 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's what we're doing with today. We're, we're diving into the topic of deacons. And just like we said with elders last week, there, there's a lot of opinions about deacons. There's a lot of opinions. I'm sure for those of you that may have grown up in church, you have probably seen deacons done a whole host of different ways. Maybe some of you are like me. Where I grew up, it was, it was the deacon board kind of ruling everything and all the decisions filtered through this, you know, board of deacons. Whoever they were, I had no idea. I just knew that's how it worked. Um, so I, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of differences, a lot of different opinions. There can even be a lot of confusion about the role in the office of deacon. So I'm going to try my best to clarify all of that for us today. And, and again, we're, we're going based off of what we see in scriptures, what we're basing all of our opinions on. All of our conclusions need to be drawn out from scripture, not from what we've seen in our church background, not from what we might be comfortable or not with. It, it's all based on what Jesus says here in his word. And, and he tells us, and he shows us exactly who deacons are and what they're supposed to do. So that's where we're going today. We're going to define who deacons are, just like we did last week with elders, and we're going to define what those deacons are supposed to do within the church. All right, so first up, who are deacons? Who are deacons? Well, Paul starts out this, this section by transitioning from his first topic of overseer, elder, pastor. Again, we said that that's an interchangeable word there. So he transitions, and he says in verse 8, deacons likewise, all right? So he's transitioning off from elders and overseers to deacons. And that word for deacons that he uses here in your New Testament, the original language written in Greek, that word is diakonos, diakonos. And that word diakonos uh, is a pretty generic term, and it can be translated 
minister, it can be translated, you know, just somebody who serves, uh, or it can be translated here as deacon. And I think it's best to understand this word, especially in this context, as deacon, and specifically deacon in the sense of an official leadership position within the church. Okay, and here, here's why I think that. It's because Paul builds off of what he just said about elders and overseers. He's clearly talking about an official office leadership role within the church when he talks about overseers, and he gives qualifications for it. Well, he does the same thing with deacons. It's the same topic. It's the same thing. He's, just, he's building off. He's, he's transitioning to a new thing under the same umbrella of church leadership, that this is a specific position that has qualifications tied to it in Scripture. So I think it's best to understand this as an official office or role leadership position within the church, just like the role of overseer or elder that he just finished talking about. Okay, so keep that in mind. This is all based on context going on here. So what does he say about deacons? Who are deacons supposed to be? What are the qualifications? He says, starting off first, they're to be dignified. They're to be dignified. And this is a word that, that means worthy of respect, esteemed or honorable. It's, it's very similar to what we saw last week with elders, where Paul says that they are to be respectable. It's a very similar word here. So to be dignified. It says they're, they're to, to not be double-tongued. Not be double-tongued. That's the next one he gives. That means that they're not supposed to be two-faced. They're not supposed to be hypocritical. They're not supposed to be insincere. Deacons are, are not to be people who say one thing and then do another thing. They're not to be double-tongued. They're not to be two-faced hypocritical. They're not supposed to be like that. The next one he says here is, is not addicted to much wine. And that word for addicted means to be devoted to. So he's saying that, that they're, they're devoted. They've given their heart over to this thing. And he, he says that they've given their heart over to wine. It says deacons aren't supposed to do that. It doesn't mean that you can't ever have a glass of wine. You can't ever have a drink. Now, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he says. What he says is that you're addicted to it, that you've given your heart to it, you're devoted to it. It's clearly become an idol in your heart. It's something that you love more than you love Jesus, and that's a big problem. And it can easily lead to the other qualification that he says for elders is they're not to be a drunkard. Well, if you're addicted to a lot of wine, you're probably a drunk, and that's not what deacons are supposed to be. That's not what elders are supposed to be. That's not what church leaders are supposed to be, not addicted to much wine. It shows a a lack of self-control. It shows an undisciplined lifestyle, and that's not, again, what church leaders are supposed to be. The next one he says here um, is that we are to, where are we at? Not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Another way you can translate this is, is shamefully greedy. They're not supposed to be shamefully greedy. So deacons, just like elders, we saw one of these, a similar qualification with elders here, that they're not to be greedy. They're, they are to be good stewards of all that God has given them, including with their money with their money. I know that. That's a touchy subject. I get it. And we haven't really talked much about this. We'll probably get to it eventually at some point because Jesus talks about two things primarily. He talks about money and he talks about hell a lot. And those are two topics that we're like, oh, I don't want to talk about that in church. I don't want to talk about that. Well, if we're going to be biblical, then we're going to have to talk about that. So anyways, here with this is he's saying that the deacons, elders, leaders within the church, you are to be good stewards of everything you have, including the money that God has given you. It all comes from him anyways. So saying to be a good steward here, not greedy. It means that you're to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and your bank account. That's what he's talking about here. All right, then he continues on. He says that they are to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So what's he talking about there? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned one of Paul's favorite ways of referring to the gospel, this work that Jesus saves sinners like us. He refers to it often as a mystery. 
So when he says here, when he says that they hold to the mystery of the faith, he's talking about the gospel. They're holding tightly. They're holding fast to the gospel, meaning that, that they love Jesus. They follow Jesus. They live for Jesus. They know their Bibles. This is what church leaders are supposed to be. Deacons, elders, they, they are supposed to hold fast to the mystery of the faith. They're to be sound in their faith. They're to know what they believe and why. They're to know their Bibles inside and out. This is what, this is what he's talking about here. And he said that they're to do it with a clear conscience. That means that, that deacons are supposed, their lives are supposed to match what they say they believe. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's talking about with a clear conscience. Saying not, not only do you believe the right things, do you live the way that you say you believe? Does your life match what you say you believe in? That's what he's talking about here. Okay, verse six, or the sixth one, I'm sorry. Uh, he says that they're to be tested. So before they're installed, he says that they are to be tested. Let them be tested. And that word for tested uh, means that there's a, a close examination of something. So what he's saying here is before you install anybody into leadership, deacons, elders, whatever it might be, before you put anybody into leadership, test them first. Examine their lives. Do their lives match the qualifications here? And not that there's a standard of perfection because none of us would attain to that. Only Jesus is perfect. But is there this, this consistent growth in these qualifications? Is there a glaring issue where we're like, oh man, that's a big issue. That's a big problem in their life. They're good in other places, but man, that, you are just clearly unrepentant in this issue. That's a big deal. And that only comes with time. That comes with asking hard questions. That comes with seeing somebody's life and how they live, how they serve, how they care for their family and other people. This is a big deal. Church leadership is a position not to be attained just because somebody is well-liked within the church. It's not a popularity contest. We have to take time to get to know people and test their qualifications. So we, should, we shouldn't be too quick to just hand out leadership positions, all right? This is not like passing out candy at Halloween. No, this, this takes time, and we're to test. This is a big deal. This is important. So we're to give close examination of somebody's life before we put them into leadership. And then Paul says, if, if after they've been tested, if they prove blameless— which that's a very similar word as what he says that elders are supposed to be above reproach. Similar word there. It means that there is, uh, this person is uh, without, uh, they can't be accused of something is really what he's saying. Like there's, not that you don't mess up, not that you don't stumble and fall in many ways, but there's not, again, this glaring thing where like, man, they're great except for this one thing. Man, they, they messed up there. They haven't repented of that. They struggle with this. That's what he's talking about here. All right, then he jumps down a couple of verses, says the deacons are to be the husband of one wife. As we said last week, that literally means a one-woman man. It means that, that if they're married, that they have a godly marriage, that this deacon loves and cares for his spouse. And it says that they manage their household well. So again, same with elders. Doesn't mean your kids have to be perfect. All right, but do you love, do you care for, do you disciple your kids? So that, those are the qualifications. All right, now let's Let's take you know, a little bit of, a, little bit of an off-ramp here and just pause and, and deal with something uh, that does tend to cause a lot of confusion. Look, look at verse 11. Verse 11, right in the middle of this passage, he says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Okay, so what, what does this verse mean? What does this verse mean? Is it, is it wives? Whose wives is he talking about? Or is Paul allowing for women deacons? 
And I know there's a lot of confusion about this. This is one of the, the hotly debated verses in your New Testament. There's a lot of good people that love Jesus that are way smarter than I'll ever hope to be that will say, yes, he's allowing for women deacons and other people to be on the other side that say, nope, that's not what he's talking about. So where do we land? Where should we land? Um, I'm just going to lay out my cards on the table so you guys know where I'm coming from and then give you some reasons why I land there. Uh, I do believe that this verse allows for women deacons in the church, and here's why. Here's some reasons why. The first thing uh, is just based on the original language. So if we go, again, your Bibles were not written in English. Your Bibles are translated from the original language Greek to English, all right? So we got to keep that in mind, and the translators try to do the best they can to take one language, and it's a dead language, not even today's Greek. It's called Koine Greek, and that fell out of use a long, long time ago. So they're taking a completely dead, unused language and trying to bring it into our language today. So just keep that in mind. Give these people some grace. Don't be too hard on the translators here. Uh, But here's what we see in, in verse 11. It says, their wives, Now, the first reason I would say that we we should allow for women deacons is I believe the phrase, their wives, is best translated women. And here's why. When you look at the Greek Greek New Testament, when you study the original language, that word for there is not there. There is not there. I know that might be confusing. The word there that you see, the possessive word there, is not present in the original Greek language. It's not there. That's an interpretation choice that the translators of the ESV, which is what I'm reading out of, the English Standard Version, which I love, love that, or else I wouldn't be preaching from it, but I do think they get some things wrong sometimes. This is an interpretation choice for them by putting the word there. It's not present in the original Greek. Now, what is present is the word for women or wives. It's plural. It's the Greek word gunaikos, gunaikos. It comes from the Greek word gune, which could be translated woman or wife, depending on the context. So the question is, what does the context allow for? Is it best translated women, or is it best translated wives? And if you have a good Bible, like mine, I believe is a good Bible, it has a little footnote down there where it's got a little number next to their wives, and if you look, find that number at the bottom, it says, wives likewise, or women likewise. Likewise, because this word can be translated wives or women. Again, so keep that in mind. So why are we saying it should be best translated women? One of the reasons is Paul uses this word eight other times in this letter, in 1 Timothy, and every single time it is best translated women. So these other places where he uses that word, it is best translated women, and it's translated women in the ESV also. The only place where it's translated wives is here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, a couple of those are in the context of marriage, where we say husband of one wife. Like we said last week, that could also be literally translated a one-woman man. It doesn't have to be translated wife. Nothing demands you translating that word wife. So even in 1 Timothy chapter 3, even in the context of marriage, it doesn't have to be translated wife. It could be translated women. So, again, I, I'm sure I bored most of you with that, but it's important to know, it's important where we stand, where we land, and it's important for you to know your pastor where I land on these issues that a lot of people can disagree on. So, and again, good people love Jesus, an open-handed issue. We're not talking about losing salvation. If you disagree with this or agree with this, that's not what we're talking about here. But I just want to be clear on where I stand. So the first reason why I believe that is uh, their wives, I think, is best translated women based on the actual Greek used in this passage. The second thing that we see uh, on why I believe we can allow for women deacons is Scripture doesn't forbid women deacons like it does women elders. Like we saw last week when Paul is talking about spiritual elders, spiritual leaders within within the church, the office of elder, overseer, or pastor, he reserves that role specifically for biblically qualified men. 
And he links this with, with what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where he says, women, I forbid you from teaching and exercising authority. And we said, those are two jobs reserved for elders. That's why he says that. It's not that he hates women. It's not that women can't teach in a lot of other areas and, and should teach because you're gifted in teaching. You should. But what he says, when he links teaching with authority, teaching and oversight, those are jobs reserved for elders. That's the spiritual leadership within the church. So Paul forbids women elders, but nowhere in Scripture, nowhere are we said that Paul or any New Testament author or any Old Testament author says that women cannot serve as deacons. We, I can't point you to a verse like I can with elders. So it's not there. Another reason why we can allow for women deacons, I believe, is, is just a question. Why would Paul give qualifications for deacons' wives and not elders' wives? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. So if elders have the more qualifications, which they do, if they have a higher level of authority, which they do, if they have a higher level of accountability, which they do, you would think that Paul would give qualifications for their spouses and not the lesser leadership position of deacons. That just doesn't make sense in my mind. So why would we have qualifications for deacons' wives here? If it is to be translated their wives, and he's talking about deacons' wives, why, why would he not talk about elders' wives, too? It just doesn't make sense to me. And also, let's just, say, let's just say for argument's sake, he is referring to deacons' wives, or maybe he's referring to both. Maybe you could say, well, he's, he's referring to both, Travis. Okay, all right, let's allow for that. Let's allow for him to say, okay, when he says their wives, he's referring to elders' wives and deacons' wives. Well, we still have women that are called to be leaders in the church here. Like that, that, that still is allowing for women to have a leadership position within the church. You can say, well, it's just, it's just for, for married women. It's like, I don't, what? I don't, that's not, huh? What are we talking about here? That's not what we're talking about. I, I, don't, I don't understand. So Paul gives, the, whether he's talking about wives or just women in general, he gives leadership qualifications. He gives specific qualifications in the context of official offices within the church. So whether we're saying it's wives or women, there's still women in leadership within the church. So why are we limiting this? to just the spouses of deacons or just the spouses of elders and deacons. Because nowhere in Scripture is marriage, being married, a requirement for church leadership. Because guess who that would exclude if we did have that? Paul! Paul's not married. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that it's better for you to stay single so that you can do more ministry. That would exclude Paul. Guess who else would exclude? Jesus! Jesus! God himself! We would have to say, if we took this interpretation, we would have to say, you know, Jesus, I know you're God. I know you're perfect, but you can't serve as a deacon. You can't serve as an elder because you're not married. That, y'all, that would be ridiculous, right? I mean, I know I'm being a little sarcastic here, and y'all can pray for me. I need to work on that. But that would just be, in my mind, it's just a little silly. So whether he's talking about wives or women in general, either way, we have women called and equipped and qualified for leadership positions within the church. So why are we reserving it for only married women rather than all qualified women? It just doesn't make sense to me. So I feel like we're putting God in a box here when we do that. So another reason, Phoebe was a deacon. Phoebe was, or is referred to throughout the New Testament as a church leader, and she's referenced in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, Romans 16, verse 1. This is Paul writing, same guy who wrote 1 Timothy. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrea. Now, that word servant is the exact same word used for deacons here in 1 Timothy 3. Diakonos. 
Exact same word. And I would say that that should be best translated deacon because Paul ties her work to a specific church. He ties it to a specific word. Church. She's not just some general servant of all churches. No, she is a, a specific servant in this particular church that Paul has called to help him in ministry. She is serving as a leader, much like a deacon would. So we've got evidence, I think, for female deacons in Scripture. And then also church history supports deacons. We see this. This is not just some like, oh, Travis, you know, this is just 2021. You're just trying to be, you know, with the culture, with the changing times. You're just just influenced by all the gender stuff that's out there right now. No, no. We see this evidence throughout church history. Church fathers like Clement of Alexandria, Origen, John Chrysostom, Jerome, John Calvin, all support women deacons. Charles Spurgeon, my personal favorite, all support women deacons. And just my rule of thumb, if it's good enough for Charles Spurgeon, it's good enough for me. All right, that's just kind of how I tend to operate in life. That dude was awesome. And he supported women. This is not just some 2021, you know, you're just woke to the culture, whatever terminology you want to throw out there, whatever lingo you want to use today, that's not what's happening. This has been a pattern throughout church history. Okay, so that's why I argue for women deacons. Um, And you know what? Good news is you're a part of a church that already has women deacons. So praise God for that. You guys are awesome. Well done on that. So I believe Paul is referring to and allowing and calling the church to have women deacons. Now, what does he say about women deacons? Well, he says that they're to be dignified. Same word as verse 8. Same exact word as verse 8. They're to be dignified. They're to be not not slanderers. The word for slander in your New Testament is the Greek word diablos. And you're like, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's where we get our, our word for devil. All right, so what he's literally saying here, women deacons, don't be devils, all right? I'm not, you know, that's just Paul talking, all right? So I'm don't, you know, take that for what it is. What he means is, is don't use your words to harm people. That's what he's talking about here. Don't gossip about people. Don't belittle people with your words. Don't be a slanderer. Sober-minded, same exact word as what we see for elders. Same exact word there. It means to be sensible, self-controlled, and there to be faithful in all things, trustworthy, dependable in all things. All right, so that's who deacons are supposed to be. Now, before we transition into what they're supposed to do, I just want to give some clarity, um, because I think there can be some confusion on this. What are the differences between elders and deacons? What are the differences that we see in Scripture between elders and deacons? Because, again, the lines can get blurred. And if you're like me, if you grew up in a church that had this deacon board kind of ruling everything, well, guess what? They were operating as elders, and they just didn't call themselves elders. They should have been called elders. They weren't. And here we have, you know, for me growing up, some confusion on this. So what are the differences between elders and deacons? Well, elders and deacons have different qualifications, similar but different. They have different callings, similar but different. Called to church leadership, but different types of leaders. What are some other differences? Well, one, uh, elders are called to exercise leadership and oversight over the congregation. This is one of their primary things. They They are to be the spiritual leaders of the church. Deacons are not called to do that. They are not called to exercise leadership and authority and oversight over the congregation. Elders, we're told, uh, they are called to leadership and, and oversight, but we're also told that they're held accountable to that. We read that passage in Hebrews 13 last week that says elders have to give an account for how they lead. They're held accountable by God for how they lead. There's no mention of that for deacons. Elders are, are referred to as the primary leaders within the church, and deacons are called to support those elders, right? Elders, we don't have much hands. We need some help, all right? That's where deacons come in. They're to be Uh, helping fulfill the ministry of the church. Okay, so this is who deacons are supposed to be. And just like we said last week, there's nothing special about this list of qualifications. And I'm like, oh man, I I can never be a deacon because look, uh, these these qualifications are like, whoa. 
These are qualifications. These are things that, that all of us, as believers, you put your faith in Jesus, we are all called to display these characteristics. We're all called to grow in these areas. There's nothing special about these lists. There's nothing special about these qualifications. It's something that we should all aspire to do and be. All right, so that's who deacons are. And let's spend some time before we close up today and talk about what are deacons supposed to do. What are deacons supposed to do? So we know who they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be men and women who are mature believers, following hard after Jesus in these specific leadership areas. Now, what are they supposed to do? Well, to answer that, I'd like to go to the very beginning of deacons in the New Testament, and we see this in Acts chapter 6. So uh, we're going to have these verses. If you want to flip over there, go for it. But Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, this is where we see the beginning of deacons. It says this, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number— so there's a, there's, a big, there's a big growing church here. This is what it's talking about. In Jerusalem, the big growing church of Jerusalem, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, so there's a lot of cultural stuff going on here. And good news is in January, we're going to start a verse-by-verse series through the book of Acts. We'll get to this, and I'll spend way more detail in this passage. But just kind of know what's going on here. There's two groups of widows in this church, one of them is not being cared for the way that they should be. That's the issue. And they, they raise that concern. They bring that before the church in verse 2. And the 12, that's the, the 12 apostles, the leaders of this early church, the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. All right, this is the, this is the first church meeting of, the, of your New Testament. Right? This is, you're like, man, where, why do we have these member meetings? Well, we see it right here in Acts chapter 6, the very first one. So it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a pros- uh, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so what's going on here? Well, there's, there's a few things that we see. First, we see that there's a problem. There's a problem in the early church. As the church grew, some people were being left out. Some of the widows were being left out and uncared for. And look, just to be clear, that is unacceptable in the church. I don't care how big your church is. I don't care how big, little, whatever. You are called by God. We are called by God to care for one another. All right, that is unacceptable that people would be left out in care for the church. This is a big problem. This was a big deal. And I just want to point out a couple of things along with that, that we are absolutely called to care for people, especially those within our church. We're called to care for, for those in our community and also within our church, and especially care for people within our church. The other thing I want to point out is, is look at how the widows raised their concern. They brought it before the church. They brought it before the apostles. They brought it before the church. They could have, you know, not done that. They could have complained. They could have gossiped about it. They could have just, you know, in these little pockets here and there, just talked about it and complained, talked about how much they hated the apostles and how they weren't doing their job right, how they were just a bunch of losers. Like, they could have done that, but they didn't. They came directly to the church leaders. And just real quick, I just want to point out, this is how we respond to conflict, y'all. This is how we respond to any issues within the church, especially amongst one another, especially amongst one another. We are to go directly to the source. All right, we don't gossip. 
We don't make passive aggressive comments to people like we want you to know that I'm mad at you, but I'm not going to talk about it because, you know, I'm a nice person, but I want you to know that I'm mad. And if you ask me, are you mad? Is some, did I do something? No, no, everything's fine. I'm good. I'm good. It's like, but I don't so we don't do that. That's not how we act. All right, y'all. That's not what we do. We don't gossip. We don't make passive aggressive comments. We go directly to the person with the desire and the hope for restoration to work it out. Okay. So just keep that in mind. So there's a problem. They brought the problem before the church, and then we see the solution in, in, chapter, or in verses 2 through 6. We see the apostles give the solution. And look, they had two bad options, right? They could have done it in, in two really bad ways. They could have said, okay, well, you know what? I hear your problem. I don't really care. I'm going to ignore your problem. Greek widows over there, you know, y'all just got to deal with it, all right? Just figure it out. Deal with it. I'm, I, we got other stuff to do. We're not going to worry about you. They could have ignored the problem. That would have been really bad. Those people would have left the church and it would have been sinful on the apostles' part to do that. So they could have ignored the problem. And just so we know, like that never works out well. We can sweep problems under the rug all day long. Eventually, it's going to spill out somewhere else. Okay, don't do that. We can't just ignore stuff. Second thing they could have done, which would have been really bad, is they could have taken away from their primary calling. As they said here, their primary calling is, is to preach the word of God. That's their primary calling. They are called to preach and teach and make disciples and lead and pray, spend time with the Lord. Like That's what their primary calling was. And they could have said, you know what? We're going to take away from that, and instead we're going to come and meet these needs over here. They could have done that. They could have absolutely done that. But that's not what God primarily called them to do. So instead of these bad solutions, what they do? They delegated. They invited other people in to the leadership. They realized, I don't have much hands, and I need help. So they got help. They got help, and they raised up leaders within the church, and they, they called them, they gave them this specific role. They, they, they brought them before, they laid hands on them, they prayed over them. That shows that there, there's a, a specific leadership thing going on here, that they are, they are being elevated to a specific leadership role in the church by this laying on of hands. And they said, this is y'all's job. You, we can't do this all by ourselves. We need your help. You are called, and we're, we're giving this over to you to go and meet these needs. And this is the very beginning of deacons. You're like, where's the word deacon here? Well, it's not. But this is where we see, this is the beginning, this is the foundation of what we will later see, an official office and role within the church of deacons. And what happened? What happened? The result here in verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples greatly multiplied in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Oh, this is crazy. So what happened? The, the, the church grew. It continued to reach more and more people and continue to make more and more disciples, especially those who were really far from God. It's no mistake that, that Luke, the author here, includes that a great many of the priests, the Jewish priests, guys who sentenced Jesus to death just months before this, are now coming to faith in Jesus. That's incredible. That's amazing. That is awesome. And that it all came about because of how the apostles in the early church navigated this issue. They didn't just try to do everything by themselves. They didn't just try to ignore the problems. No, they raised up other leaders and delegated specific roles to them. So what does this teach us about deacons? It teaches us that deacons are used by God to meet the needs of the church. They're used by God to meet the needs of the church, and through their service, it allows the church to reach more people for Jesus. See, without deacons, what we're led to believe here, without deacons, verse 7 wouldn't have happened. Without the solution of verses 1 through 6, verse 7 wouldn't have happened. That the church would have likely just stalled out. 
The widows would have gotten mad. They would have left. There would have just been the first church split ever would have happened six chapters in to the birth of the church. That wouldn't have been good, y'all. It would have stalled out. Not about you, but uh, I, I don't, I have the worst luck with cars. I don't know if anybody in here can relate to that. I just, I just have the worst luck. I have the worst luck with cars. And what typically happens for me is like my car will just stop working in the worst possible place or worst possible environment or setting, whatever going on. Like it just, it never fails. It is just terrible timing. So one time I was in college driving back um, from uh, Gainesville. I visited some friends at the University of Florida. I was coming back down to Coral Springs where I lived at the time. And I don't know if you know anything about that, but like there's a turnpike that goes straight south and there's most of it is like swampland middle of nowhere and sure enough about two hours from home my alternator goes out and my car just shuts down and now I'm stuck there for hours waiting on a tow truck to bring me two hours back home it was awesome that was a lot of fun Uh, there's other times where I've locked my keys in my car and like nobody could come and help me for hours you're waiting on like a you know tow truck or something with your insurance you can call that number and they're like yeah we'll be there in a half hour four hours later it's like hey can I get an update yeah we're half hour away like you just said that half hour I don't understand how this math works, but okay, I trust you. Uh, so I've had that happen where it's just, you know, just stranded for hours. Um, I had it happen one time where my battery died. Oh, I was out running errands on a Friday. So, you know, as pastors, we work on Sundays. So typically a lot of pastors have Fridays off. So my last church, we had Fridays off. Uh, so everybody else is at work in the world. Everybody else is doing their normal thing. So here I am stranded in some random parking lot. My car's dead and I'm just calling everybody. They're like, hey, yeah, sorry, I'm at work. I can't come help you. I'm like, cool, I'll just... I'll stay here. That's fine. Um, so finally, I ask some, I just find some random person like, hey, can you help start my car? And they're like, oh, stranger danger. Um, but anyways, you find somebody that's nice enough and they help you out. So that took a while. Um, so it typically happens to me just in the worst possible setting. I get flat tires like at, at the worst possible time. You're like changing it. Like I had a, uh, I was helping somebody move down to Florida with my dad's truck. It was a huge truck, older truck. We had it packed full. And I'm on one of the busiest expressways down in South Florida, and a tire just blows out. Like, that's the kind of luck that I have. So I'm trying to pull over in the middle of rush hour and change a tire on this ginormous truck. Oh, by the way, which we had to unload everything in order for me to change the tire. Like, that's, that's the kind of luck I have. And sure enough, Monday, it came to me. It happened again. I go out Monday morning. Thankfully, I was home and not stranded in some random parking lot. I come out to my car. Because I take my son to elementary, I take him to kindergarten in the mornings, and I like, you know, it's cold outside, or what, it's like hot today, I don't understand what's happening, but it was cold on Monday, all right, it was cold on Monday, so I go out there, I start the car to warm it up for him, I go out there, and it's got one of those like keyless things, you just press the button, and the, it's not working, I'm like, no, it's supposed to work, I'm pushing the button like 50 times, thinking that that somehow is just going to work on him, and it doesn't work, I'm like... Oh, Lord. Um, so I'm praying over the car because, you know, I've had my alternator go out. I've had a starter go out again in the middle of a parking lot, straining there for hours, waiting on the tow truck. Starter went out. I'm telling you, I have the worst luck with this. So I'm praying, like, Lord, please don't let it be the starter. Please don't let it be the alternator. So I come home. I take Kendra's car, drop him off. I come back home. I get the jumper cables out. I hook him up, start up, and it starts up. I'm like, whoo, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The demons are out of this car. So I, I'm praising the Lord for that. Worshiping, just, you know, charismatic all out. And then, um, I'm just kidding, y'all. Um, so I'm just thankful. I'm just happy that it finally started. So I go right to the auto parts store. You know, they test your battery for free. They're like, yeah, your battery's dead. I'm like, okay, cool. Best news I've heard all day, actually. It could have been a lot worse. Put a new battery in, and then, you know, I'm, I'm cooking at that point. I'm ready to go. It's starting up, and I'll have you know, it has started every day since. So again, the Lord and its hedge of protection around my car has worked. Thank you for your prayers, uh, continued prayers for that. I appreciate that. Um, but anyways, if you've had that happen, like you just know how frustrating that can be, right? Like you just, this one little, this little, this little box in your car. You could have the, the nicest car in the world. You could have everything tip top lined out to the max. 
and this little box goes out, your car's not going anywhere. It's just a hunk of metal sitting there. Might look pretty, might not look pretty like mine, but it's just sitting there. It is useless at that point. Look, deacons are, are like a car battery. You're like, Travis, your analogies are ridiculous. I know, I get it. But they're like a car battery. They allow the church to move forward. They allow the church to go. You could have the best leaders, the best elders, the most qualified, gifted, charismatic people in place. But eventually, their hands are going to get full. They don't have much hands. They're going to need help. And if you don't have people ready to serve and meet needs and come alongside the elders and pastors of the church to meet the needs of the congregation, we don't call everybody together to serve one another, we don't catch that vision, if we don't catch that culture, we are going to stall out. You could have the best stuff in place, the nicest building, the fanciest things, but if you don't have this, you're going to stall out. Eventually, you're going to stop going forward and you're not going to accomplish the purpose that God has for you. This is what deacons are to do. They, they come alongside, they support, and they help the word of God go forth and expand and reach more people for Jesus. So what does this look like today? What are, what are deacons supposed to serve? How are they supposed to serve today? Uh, well, they serve by meeting a variety of needs in the congregation. That's just what this is. Deacons serve by meeting needs. That's all there is. So the, can they do it in a bunch of different ways? Yeah, they can do it in a bunch of different ways. Can they lead ministry teams, ministry initiatives? Yes, absolutely. Can they? Yes, absolutely. They should. That's what we have here going on. We got deacons in place leading and, and leading out in specific, very important ministries. They, they help by, by what Acts 6 refers to as serving tables. That just means meeting the tangible needs of the church, caring for the vulnerable, caring for the hurting, caring for those in need, doing a whole bunch of different things. And essentially what this means is, is here's what deacons are supposed to do. What are deacons supposed to do? They are to look for needs and meet the needs. That's what deacons do. That's who deacons are. They see the needs. They meet the needs. Where are the needs? Where can I help out? I'm going to go and do that. That's what deacons do. They lead the church in serving. So kind of the language that I use with elders and deacons is, is elders are the servant leaders of the church. They're the ones that are placed by God to give leadership and oversight and direction for ministry. And then deacons are the lead servants of the church. So elders, servant leaders, deacons, lead servants. They lead the church in their serving by meeting the needs of the congregation. And look, here's what that means. Deacons don't do everything, all right? So it's not like, oh, well, you know, JB's over first impression. He's the deacon of first impression. So guess what, JB? All of the first impression stuff is on you. You don't get any help. That's not, that's not, what it, that's not how it works, all right? That's not what we want to do. That is not a culture of serving. That's not a culture of, of delegating and extending and calling other people into this work. No, JB leads that ministry and calls others to serve alongside him invites others into the serve, into serving with him and alongside him. That's how we build a culture of serving within this church. It doesn't just rest on certain people's shoulders, again, because we don't have much hands. All right, we need everybody. We are all in this together. Let's serve together. Let's do this together. So deacons, through their leadership and serving, they, they help foster, create, and facilitate a healthy, growing church, a church that is reaching people for Jesus. And look, they, they are a vital part of the church. Your elders and leaders, we don't have much hands. We need help. This is where deacons, this is where everybody in the congregation comes in. And look, Paul gives even a blessing to deacons. He ends his discussion here by giving a blessing. He says in verse 13, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
Deacons who serve well set an example before others in the church, and they gain great confidence in Jesus. What that means is that they, they have a close, personal, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. When we serve, when we serve Jesus, when we serve one another, we grow closer to him. This is what he's talking about here. And look, that's, that's what I want our church to be. Those are the kind of servants that I want to be, that I want to serve with. I want to see all of us become servants who serve well, servants who are ready to give their lives to Jesus, not to gain anything else but Jesus, because we know that he is more valuable, more precious, and better than anything this world has to offer. That's why we serve. I want to produce a church that has servants that, that love God and love, eithers, love others and, and are ready to meet the needs, to ready to serve others, no matter what that looks like, no matter how that comes about. We're ready to jump in and serve others and love them with our serving. That's the kind of servants, that's the kind of leaders that I want this church to be. That's what, that's what I want us to continue doing. We've already got people like that. We, y'all are already doing that. Let's continue on in that. Let's continue to set a culture of serving. Not a culture of consuming, but a culture of serving. Let's be that kind of servants. And look, why do we serve? That's why we do everything. It's because of Jesus, right? That's, that's the answer to everything, right? You ask a kid, you know, what's the answer to Jesus? Yes, you're right. Absolutely. Why do we serve? Jesus. Why do we have deacons? Jesus. Because again, Jesus tells us in, in, in Mark 10, 45, I came not to be served, but to serve. And how does he serve us? He gave his life on the cross for us. And he calls us, by, by him serving us, he calls us to serve him and serve one another. So why do we serve? Because Jesus has first served us. And if we're going to follow him, we're going to follow him in serving. So let's do that. Christians, believers in the room, if this is your church, if you call the church at Haynes Creek your church, let's step up and continue to serve one another. Keep doing that. I love your hearts. I love that you're doing this. I want, I want to fan that into flame, and I want that to spread like wildfire throughout this community. That's what I want to happen. Let's be a church that loves Jesus, love others, and makes disciples through our serving, all right? I'm going to pray, and we're going to conclude our time today by, by doing what we always do. Every week now, we, we are pausing and taking a moment to celebrate communion every single time we gather. So this is a moment uh, for believers in the room. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, this moment is for you to take some time and, and remember what Jesus has done for us. That's the point of communion, is to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross. So as I pray, the band's gonna come up and lead us in a couple more songs before we dismiss today. And, and believers in the room, as they come up and play, as I pray and, and lead us into that moment, I, I would encourage you, take a moment and prepare your own hearts. Maybe you just spend some time in prayer. Maybe you spend some time repenting of some sin. Maybe you need, you've seen that, man, I have this consumeristic, selfish mindset, and I'm not serving anybody. I'm just, I'm just taken from others. And maybe you need to repent of that and, and, and step into serving it and step in, all right, how can, I, how can I meet the needs of the congregation? How can I meet the needs of the community around me? Maybe you need to spend some time uh, just praying to the Lord and, and worshiping Him. And then, but then as you're ready, as you feel that, as you're ready, you go to the tables on either side of the room. We got some over here. We got our elements over here as well. You take the bread that represents Jesus's broken body for us on the cross. You take the cup and you remember that his blood was shed for our sins, that we worship Jesus, our God and our Savior. We celebrate what he has done for us, that he has made us alive, that he has saved us, that he has set us free, that he has redeemed us. 
As we said, this is a time for believers only. If you're here and you're not a believer, I love that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. And Jesus loves that you're here. Jesus loves that you're here. And I just want to call you and ask you, put your faith in Jesus. Let today be the day of your salvation. Let's not, know, uh, let's not go another day where you're living for yourself or living for the things of this world. I promise you that it's only going to leave you broken and destroyed and disappointed. It's only going to leave you in despair. But the Bible tells us that, that in his love for us, Jesus died on the cross. And he went to the cross out of love for us. It means that, that he knows everything about us. All the dirt, all the shame that we carry, all the sin that we carry, he sees it all. And he says, I love you. I'm going to give my life for you. And through that, we can have forgiveness. Through that, we can have salvation. All we're called to do is just put our faith in him. So if that's you here today, if you want to take this moment, as I pray, all you got to do is pray to you. You don't have to say special words, not some formula that you got to say. All you got to do is, is acknowledge what, what's true, that, that we're a sinner and that Jesus alone can save us. And we're putting our faith and our trust in him to do just that. That's all Jesus says. You put your faith in me, and he saves us, and he forgives us of all of our sin, past, present, future sin, all forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you here today, I would encourage you to say something like that to the Lord. Say, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to save me, and I trust you to save me, Jesus. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to come and celebrate your first communion as a believer in Christ and come let us know this week and celebrate with you because that is an incredible thing. That's an incredible moment and we want to know and celebrate and be praying for you. So let me pray for us, church, and we'll step into this time of communion and worship before we end our service today. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace in our lives. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you're a God that, that sees everything that knows everything about us, and yet you still love us. You still gave your life for ours, Lord. We don't deserve that. In fact, we do everything to show you that we don't deserve that. As, as you say in Romans 5, 8, that, that while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, you died for us, Jesus. So we thank you for that. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I thank you for the many ways that, that you, the perfect, eternal, holy God, have served us your finite, broken, sinful creatures. And Lord, I pray, as you have set the example before us, that we would continue to walk in that, that we would continue to be a church that sees the needs and meets the needs, Lord. I pray for you to continue to raise up elders and deacons and leaders within the church to serve you and to serve one another, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing here, Lord, and we pray for you to continue to use us in whatever way you see fit. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.